Um, if you were around this weekend, uh, at least if, you, if you're in St. Paul, we had the uh, St. Paul Art Crawl, uh, which was a, a lot of fun. So I just want to just give some highlights from that. Um, I learned a lot about uh, St. Paul's Art Crawl. If you're not familiar with that, basically it's just a lot of buildings in the area and community open up their doors to allow artists to display their art as a gallery and that kind of thing. And so I'll, I've got a couple pictures of what we did in here. And, and um, it was a lot of fun. We had a lot of people come through that um, have, have never seen the space. We actually had a lot of people from even just the condos right next door. You know, oh, man, I'm living here forever. I've never never seen inside of this building. So that was kind of cool. And, you know, and of course, I geek out over the history um, of it. And um, and I learned something new about it. You know, some fun, so fun fact, okay? Um, any wild guesses? If you were here yesterday, don't cheat. Or if I talk to you today about it, don't, don't, don't ruin it. Um, any idea how many pipes are in this organ? 119, what was that? 302, higher. Huh? So it's 1,808, okay, in case you were curious. Yeah, it's pretty wild, I had no idea. Uh, my mother-in-law, she, she did a lot of research on the organ and she played it for an hour uh, this past weekend and, and was really a lot of fun. Um, I kind of felt best, we did, our, we had our, our Hope Hymns band play and there was a handful of people here, and then my mother-in-law gets in the organ, and we had more people for the organ than we did for whole pins, you know, so people are like, oh, maybe we should switch our style of music. No, I don't think that's what this means, actually, but um, I did really, really enjoy it. It was a lot of fun. So uh, what we did is uh, I started off, every, every good sermon starts off with a picture of my Jeep, um, but what I did, though, is, so is, I was, it was actually probably not the, the safest idea. I went out and bought all these, you know, eight-foot-long two-by-fours thinking they would fit in the Jeep. No, that didn't work. So thankfully I have a roof rack, but I've got my tire up there. So they were like five, you know, four wide, stacked five high. I thought for sure, you know, especially getting on the on-ramps on a, I was going like four miles an hour, making sure it wasn't gonna top. I mean, I had straps on it, but I still was freaking out. Um, anyway, so this is what it was like in the inside. It's kind of hard to see, but what we did is we leaned, you know, the, the two by fours, and then we just, you know, we were able to nail in, uh, you know, a couple couple pictures on, on, on each side of the aisle, and. And so we had um, a lot of artwork displayed. That was a lot of fun. I think that, that was when my, my mother-in-law was playing there. And, and, um, and then we did this community art project. Remember, we, at least I, I attempted to do this. There was just kind of these random pictures of Jesus. Um, I thought, I, in my mind, I thought people from the community were going to kind of, you know, what, what is Jesus telling us as a church? Or what should, what, you know, what, what is the message that he would have for the church or for the community? Whatever, right? I don't know. I, you know, you know, accept all people is kind of what I was thinking. You know, it, it, people just had fun with it. And, uh, and there was a few, few inappropriate ones, but I love the, the flower. They're like, don't you tell me what to color. I'm going to make my own thing. And they drew on the back, um, which was great. Um, a lot of kids did it. Um, and uh, there was one I thought was serious, and it said, um, uh, you know, Lord or Father, you know, it's, you know, would you please heal, my, please, please heal my jaundice? And I was like, oh, that's great. But then I realized they colored Jesus yellow. And I was like, oh, okay, I get it now. And then, um, and then there was one that was a little, little blasphemous that I think it said LeBron James is the goat. And I wasn't sure if I should pull that down, which I think it might've been you, but it doesn't seem like something you'd write. Did you write that? <laughs> okay. All right. We're no longer friends. All right, um, anyways, um, it's clearly Michael Jordan, right? You with me, it's Michael Jordan? Yeah, yep, okay, good. Okay, sorry, that has nothing, I mean, it had stuff to do. So it was a good turnout. We really had a lot of fun just opening the doors and just getting involved in the community. We, we love art um, and we, we love this neighborhood and so it was great to just have the doors open and, 
and uh, meet some people, and it was, we really had a lot of fun doing that. So I'm, I'm tired, uh, but I'm going to preach, and then I'm going to go go to bed. So uh, anyways, okay, so we, uh, as, as uh, Andrew was saying, we're in uh, week 14, actually, of going through the book of Exodus, and so um, we are just going to pick up where we were. And uh, this week is, is a little, little heavier, I think, in a, in a lot of ways. But um, so, yeah, so we're just going to jump into it. So have you ever um, been, been, uh, been like passed over or picked over uh, something or someone rather than somebody else? Uh, that sentence did not make sense. I'm going to be like that all night tonight, just so you know. Um, you know what I mean? Like when, when you're in elementary, right, and they're, and they're picking people for, you know, vocab. That was my thing, right? I was a, I was a terrible speller. And we would pick teams, you know, for a quiz. And I was always the last one picked, right? You just feel terrible, right? And, uh, you know, so I made it up on the, you know, the ball field as if that helped me in life at all. It didn't. Um, but spelling probably would have come in handy a little bit more. Um, but you know what I mean? Like that feeling of like, okay, yeah, I want Timmy and I want Sarah. Oh, I do not want Brian. And yeah, sure, I'll take Jimmy. And then you just, right, you feel bad. Um, but maybe in a little bit more serious tone of maybe like a job promotion, right? Man, I've, I've put this time in this job. I've, I've put my heart into this and I've been here longer and so-and-so gets the promotion early before I do. And it feels bad to be passed over in that way. But at the same time, it can be a good thing to be passed over. Um, I remember in college, you know, I, 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 was, I was an okay student. You know, I wasn't like, you know, a straight-A student. Um, you can actually tell when I met my wife in college because my GPA bumps up about a whole point um, because she was a very good student. And she, when she was like, well, it's, well, when we study together, she actually wanted to study together, and so it was a good thing for me. Um, and uh, we, we uh, anyways, but you know when you get like a group project, right? So the teachers would say, hey, let's do a group project and, and you know, so-and-so, you get paired with this person or whatever. And you, you're just like, you, you, there's that one guy in the class who's super lazy, right? And you know if you get paired with him, you're going to end up doing all the work, right? And then you don't get paired with him, right? And you get passed over in that sense. It's a good thing, right? Like, oh, I thank you. I didn't get picked and paired with that guy, right? That's a good thing. And so that's what's going to happen in the sermon tonight where God is going to pass over, but there's going to be two effects that some people in the effect of being passed over are going to look at that as a very good thing, uh, an amazing thing. And the other people that are not passed over, it's going to be an incredibly bad thing. And so that's what we're going to be doing as we look in, in at a Passover tonight. So if you haven't been here in previous weeks, we, we just finished up uh, going through the, the plagues. Uh, so we, there's 10 plagues, even going back one further of, of uh, Apep or the, the snake, the serpent, the, the staff that turns into the serpent. And uh, these are, God is, is directly going after uh, certain gods of Egypt, these fake, puny, false gods. And Yahweh shows up and says, you will let my people go. And Pharaoh kind of mocks, who, who are you? Who is Yahweh that I should obey him? And God says, well, let me, let me display my power over your gods. And it, and it ends, and, and, the, and, the, and the culmination of it all ends with God directly attacking Pharaoh. And Pharaoh uh, called himself the firstborn among creation, which he's not. God would say, no, that's, that's a title for me. And, and so uh, he said, I am the firstborn among creation. And God says, no, no, you're not. So I read this poem about, about Pharaoh last week, and it may sound familiar. He is born, he is born, he'll come and adore him. Young like the moon is shining and is changing over the heavens, and his footsteps are ranging. Stars never setting, stars never setting. Worship the child of God's own begetting. He was worshiped as the son of Ra, the son of God. Heaven and earth, oh, come and adore him. Bow down before him, kneel down before him, worship, adore him, fall down before him. God, who is born 
in the night, and he was worshiped as a god. He was fully God, fully man in their image, and their mindset, and God says, that will happen, but not through you, but through my son, not through Pharaoh. So this was the passage that we read last week, and this is the warning. So Moses is standing before Pharaoh, and this is the warning that, Pharaoh, that Moses gives and delivers to Pharaoh about what's about to happen. So Moses says, this is what Yahweh says. At about midnight, I will go through Egypt, and every firstborn son in Egypt will die. From the firstborn son of the Pharaoh who sits on the throne to the firstborn son of the female slave who's at her handmill, and all the firstborn cattle as well, there will be a loud wailing throughout Egypt, worse than there has ever been or ever will be again. But among the Israelites, not a dog will bark at any person or animal. And then you will know that I am Yahweh. And Yahweh makes a distinction between Egypt and Israel. And all these officials of yours will come to me, bowing down before me and saying, go, you and all the people who follow after you. And then after that, I will leave. And then Moses, hot with anger, left Pharaoh. So that was last week. And so now we are going to get into today's message, which is directly the Passover. So last week was the warning. This week is actually the, the punishment that happens. So God says, this is going to happen if you don't let my people go. And as we found out last week, Pharaoh says, no, I'm not going to let your people go. And therefore, God goes through with what he said he would do. So... Um, just a, just a heads up, I know normally I have, I have quotes from experts because I'm, I'm not an expert on any of this stuff. Um, and because of, of the, uh, the content of the Passover, it is still celebrated um, by Jewish communities. And, and so uh, one rabbi, her name's Amy Bernstein, um, Aaron Shaw introduced, the, in, introduced the, uh, me to, uh, to her, introduced me to her, and uh, through, um, what was that called, podcast form. Uh, I've never done that before. It was actually kind of cool, uh, podcast thing. Thank you for that. And so I, I listened to a lot of her podcasts. Uh, they were phenomenal. Uh, but again, she's coming from a Jewish perspective, which is, which is it's, it's, oh man, it's right there. It's, it's so good and so rich, but they're still waiting for the Messiah. They're still waiting for, for Jesus to come. And so I was able to pick Aaron's brain, and, and he grew up uh, in a Jewish uh, household and, and celebrating with at least his grandparents uh, the Passover meal. And so um, I, I learned a lot about that from him and, and from Amy Bernstein. So um, I'll have a couple quotes from her later on. So just so you know, if I'm just shouting information about Jewish Passover, it's not because I, I know what I'm talking about. It's because somebody else told me what that is. So... Okay, so who is this for? Who is this Passover meant to be for? Um, it says this in Exodus chapter 12. It says, um, Yahweh said to Moses and Aaron in Egypt, this month is to be for you the first month, the first month of uh, your year. Um, this one I did my own reading on, and, and that, it may not be that you know, consequential or anything like that, but the Canaanites and other people that would have been surrounding the Israelites as they would have gone in new lands, they would have had a different new year, and this might have just been a way to, to differentiate them among the tribes and people around them, but also to say at this, this point, the starting point of, this, of your calendar year is going to be this time of, of Passover. That, when you celebrate this, that's going to be the beginning of your, your year. It says, tell the, the whole community of Israel that on the 10th day of this month, each man is to take a lamb for his family 
and, each, and, and one for each household. And so you're gonna see this word household and each family and community and the, the, the uh, Israelite uh, com- community of Israel a lot in this passage. Um, and it's because it's, it's hard, I think, in our culture, in our context to, yes, we're Hope Community Church and we do things as a church, we do things as families, but in Jewish culture and, and especially within, within the Jewish religion, everything is about the camp. Uh, and as Israel goes through and is wandering through the wilderness, to be put outside of the camp, that's, that's, that's it. That's hell, right? To be outside of the camp, they're done. Um, and so that's what's happening. So everybody in the community, collectively, we are all to do this. Are individuals and families doing this? Yes, they are. Yes, most certainly. But it is about the community and as a people group that they are to be, be doing this. So what are they supposed to be doing exactly? Well, if any household is too small for a whole family, they must share one with their nearest neighbor, having taken into account the number of people that there are. Okay, so even that right there, you got to imagine if this was given in your community, I don't know, I don't know what, what would happen. I'm going with the fly on here. Going, man, I'm, my brain right now is just this fried eggs up there right now. Um, don't do drugs and don't stay up for art crawl for three days in a row. That's, those are the, that's what you're not supposed to do. Um, Households, right? If you think of, of what's going on in your community, if, if this were to happen, of saying, okay, immediately within their community, they're going out saying, hey, do you have a lamb? Okay, you've got one. I've also got one, so I don't need to share with you, but maybe I can go to this way and go with the, the other family over here. And so right away, the, 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 the command is saying, get together with the people around you. Figure out how many people there are and how much we're all going to eat together. So having taken this into account, the number of people that there are, you are to determine the amount of lamb needed in accordance with what each person will eat. And the animals you choose must be year-old males without defect. Um, And you may take them from the sheep or the goats and take care of them until the 14th day of the month when all the members of the community of Israel must slaughter them at twilight. Okay, so so again, you got to picture this. You've got all these households. Just picture like a really you know, close-knit neighborhood, slum-type place. And in their back little yard or courtyard or maybe even inside of their house, they've got a lamb or a goat. And so for four days, four days in this tiny little community, all you're hearing is, ah, right? I mean, all the time, right? That's all they're supposed to be doing is taking care of the sheep and the goats, and they're in their spaces together with them for four days, right? So they, something's going to happen. And so what are they supposed to do? When all the members of the community of Israel, they must slaughter them at twilight. Again, the community doing this thing together at the same time. So, oh, sorry. This is bad. This is bad. bad. All right, I'm going to keep reading. Then they are to take some of the blood and they are to put it on the tops and the sides of the door frames of the houses where they are to eat the lambs, okay? So they're saying you're going to take the blood that comes out of the lamb and you're going to put it on the doorpost and up on the, the, the door frame at the top of it. And that same night, they are to eat the meat roasted over the fire along with bitter herbs and the bread made without yeast. And do not eat the meat raw or boiled in water, but roast it over a fire uh, with the head and the legs and the internal organs. And do not leave any of it until morning. And if some of it is left until morning, you must burn it. This is how you are to eat it. And you are, you are to eat it with your cloak tucked into your side, or tucked into your belt, and your sandals on your feet, and your staff in your hand. Eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover, okay? Why would they do that, okay? There's a couple things that are going on here, All right, So they're gonna eat this, this sacrificial lamb, 
They're going to eat bitter herbs. And they do this to today. All right, Jewish communities, when they celebrate Passover, eat bitter herbs. It's to remind them of the bitterness of slavery of which they're about to be set free from. And they're supposed to take their cloak. And in the New Testament, at least in the King James, they call it uh, gird your loins. Okay, that's how, they, that's how they called it, right? Because they would wear a girdle or a belt. And they'd have longer, you know, cloaks. And they would take that and tuck that into their belt so they could run. Because um, it's hard to run, uh, you know, in a dress or a skirt. So they would pull that up and they'd tuck it in so they could run. And they'd have their, their shoes on, right? You get ready to go. A matter of fact, so much so that we're going to eat unleavened bread. And so that's what happens. They're going to eat unleavened bread because if there's yeast in it, it takes longer time to rise. So no yeast. We're going to cook this real fast because you've got to be ready to get out of here and go. So why? Why is God going to do this? And why do they need to do this? This is why. On that same night, I will pass through Egypt and I will strike down every firstborn of both people and animals. And I will bring judgment on all the gods of Egypt. I am Yahweh. All right, this is still happening. And if you've been here the last few weeks, I mean, Pharaoh's had plenty of chances to set his people free, but he doesn't. He hardens his heart. And sometimes it says God hardened his heart, or his heart is just hardened. And I don't know, again, there's, there's, there's the sovereignty of God in there and human choices, and he becomes hard-hearted, and he says, I'm not going to let these people go. He's had plenty of chances, but he doesn't. And he says, the blood, the blood will be a sign for you on the houses where you are, and when I see the blood, I will pass over you. No destructive plague will touch you when I strike Egypt. This is the day you are to commemorate. For the generations to come, you shall celebrate it as a festival to Yahweh, a lasting ordinance. For seven days, you are to eat bread made without yeast. On the first day, remove the yeast from your houses. For whoever eats anything with yeast in it from the first day through the seventh, must be cut off from Israel. All right, that is, that is the strongest language that you could say from that community to say, if you do this, I'm going to cut you out. You're no longer welcome in here. No matter what you do, you're cut off. You're not just on the outside of the camp where you can be let back in if you do something. You're cut off. No yeast. All right, it's a big deal. You got to be ready for this. Obey me. On the first day, hold a sacred assembly, and another on the seventh day, and do no work at all on these days except prepare food for everyone to eat, and that is all you may do. Uh, Aaron was sharing that with his grandparents, that they would go around the house and actually just open the cupboards, look at all the ingredients, if anything had yeast in it, that they would literally just throw it outside in the front lawn. And he said, if you, you know, drive around in a Jewish community and see all food on the front lawn, it's not, they're not littering, they're getting the yeast out. Right? This is a big deal to them. And they're getting all the, the yeast and anything that contains yeast, which, which is a lot of things. Well, I don't know, bread and beer, right? A couple things. I'm sure there's yeast and other things. That's all I can think of, right? So, so there's a lot of bread and beer in people's yards, okay? And, 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 and uh, so that's what they do, okay? This is a big deal to them. It's, it's a lasting ordinance, and they still do this. And, and if they don't, they would be cut off from Israel. So... How often, how often are they to do this? Well, God gives them this. He says, celebrate the festival of unleavened bread or Passover, it's the same, same thing, because it was on this very day that I brought your divisions out of Egypt. Celebrate this day as a lasting ordinance for the generations to come. In the first month, you are to eat bread made without yeast and from everything from the 14th day until the evening, 
of the 21st day, for seven days, no yeast is to be found in your houses, and anyone, whether foreigner or native-born, who eats anything with yeast, then it must be cut off from the community of Israel. Eat nothing made with yeast. Wherever you live, you must eat unleavened bread. Okay, so that's, that, that's, where, that's what the Jewish communities are going off of right now. Now, here, here was my... Uh, uh, Mufasa moment, right? You know, remember the hyenas, right? And they're like, Mufasa, woo, right? Say it again, Mufasa, right? This is what happened, right? And Aaron was there with me. I mean, I was just, what just happened? And maybe it won't do anything for you, but it did for me. That was really cool. This lasting ordinance that's supposed to happen in, to all of Israel for all of time, what happens? He says, celebrate this festival of unleavened bread because it was on this very day I brought your divisions out of Egypt. God hasn't done this yet, right? He, he's calling his shots like he always does, right? So, so what, time, what, time, what time is it? They're still in slavery. They are still slaves under Pharaoh. And God says, hey, on this day, this is going to be a lasting ordinance that you are going to do forever because this is the day that I bring you out of Egypt, right? It's just like, whoa, he knew exactly what he was going to do. And he said he was going to do it. And now he is going to do it. So... Then Moses summoned all the elders of Israel and said to them, go at once and select the animals for your families and slaughter the Passover lamb. Take a bunch of hyssop, it's just a branch, uh, and dip it into the blood. But that hyssop branch is going to show up all over the Old, Old Testament because of this Passover meal. Dip it into the blood in the basin and put some of the blood on the top and on both sides of the door frame. And none of you shall go out of the door of your houses until morning. And when Yahweh goes through your land to strike down the Egyptians, he will see the blood on the top and on the sides and the door frame and will pass over that doorway and he will not permit the destroyer to enter your houses and strike you down. Obey these instructions as a lasting ordinance for you and your descendants. And when you enter the land, when you enter that promised land that I gave to, to, to Abraham in Genesis chapter 15, when you enter that land, you will know that Yahweh will give you to be promised, observe this ceremony. And when your children ask you, what does the ceremony mean to you? Then you tell them, it is the Passover sacrifice to Yahweh who passed over the houses of the Israelites in Egypt and spared our homes when he struck down the Egyptians. And then the people bowed down and worshiped. And the Israelites did just what Yahweh had commanded Moses and Aaron. At the same time, though, God makes a way. He gives them a way of salvation. He says, there's a blood sacrifice that needs to happen. Death needs to happen. Death is the consequences of, of sin. So what happens if people don't listen? Don't listen to God. At midnight, Yahweh struck down all the firstborn in Egypt. And from the firstborn of Pharaoh who sat on his throne to the firstborn of the prisoner who was in the dungeon, and the firstborn of the livestock as well. Pharaoh and all of his officials and all the Egyptians got up during the night, and there was a loud wailing. And, ah, sorry. I struggle with this. Should have done this before I had a boy, huh? There was a loud wailing in Egypt, for there was not a house without someone dead. Um, as I was studying this, 
Um, I kept asking, uh, really? Uh, like, why? Right? Uh, and again, I, it's like, man, we just preached through all of this. They had, they had so many, so many chances. And again, I'm reminded that our, our human choices have consequences. And they didn't put the blood on the door. And you can see that there's a loud wailing in Egypt, a loud crying out. And we're going to come back to that. And then I, I had to go back. I had to go back and reread Exodus. And I, and I was reminded of this. And Yahweh said to Moses, all the way back in chapter 4, Yahweh says to Moses, when you return to Egypt, he's still, he's still way out in Midian. He hasn't even returned to Egypt. To, to even, he hasn't even talked to Pharaoh yet. And he says this, when you return to Egypt, see that you perform before Pharaoh all the wonders that I have given that you have power to do. But I will harden his heart so that he will not let the people go. And then say to Pharaoh, this is what Yahweh says. Israel is my firstborn son. Not you, Pharaoh. I mean, the first thing he says, Israel is my firstborn son. And I told you, let my people go so he, so they, so he my son, Israel, may worship me. But you refuse to let them go, so I will kill your firstborn son. And then I was reminded of this, and now the cry, it's the same word in Hebrew, the cry, this wailing, the wailing of the Israelites has reached me. And I have seen the way the Egyptians are oppressing them. And I know a lot of times, and I think we look at this, we say, man, is this just? At the same time, as a dad, if somebody's harming my child, yes, I'm going to do something about it, right? My dad instincts are going to kick in. And, I, and my son's got different cries, right? And he's only 14 months old. I know when he's just whining. I know when he wakes up and, and it just needs attention. And I know when he's hurt. And when he's hurt, there's nothing that's going to get in my way to get to my kid. And that's exactly what God is doing. He shows up and says, this is my son. This is my Israel. So now go. And I'm sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. But then I had to, creep, then I had to go back and ask the question, and I was reminded of this listening to these podcasts, of if God is sovereign, why does he even put him in slavery to begin with? Right? Why doesn't he just say, I'm going to bless you, Abraham. Now go do your thing. Be fruitful. Multiply. Fill the earth. Be my people. Why does he have to go into slavery? Why does he have to go after the Egyptians and specifically Pharaoh? Why does that even have to happen? And we go back to the promise that God makes to Abraham in Genesis chapter 15. And Yahweh said to him, to, to Abraham, he said this, Know for certain that for 400 years your descendants will be strangers in a country not of their own and that they will be enslaved and mistreated there. But I will punish the nation they serve as slaves. Okay, this is hundreds, six, seven hundred years before any of this even happens. God's saying they're going to be enslaved. But I will punish them. I will punish the nation that they, that, that they serve as slaves. And afterward, they will come out with great possessions. You, however, you will go to your ancestors in peace and be buried at a good old age. In the fourth generation, your descendants will come back here for the sin of the Amorites has not yet reached its full measure. And there's a lot going on there that we're not going to get into. But this is what he says, right? And, and, and Amy Bernstein brings up, she's, she was reading this and says, why, why doesn't God just let Abraham die in peace, right? When, when Abraham, when, he, when God shows up to Abraham and says, uh, why doesn't he just start in verse 15? You're going to go to the ancestors. You're going to be in peace. Why does he even tell, why, why does he even tell him they're going to be in slavery? Just let them die in peace. No, you're not. You're saying, hey, 
it's going to be good, but it's going to be really bad for a long time. Why does he even tell him that? And Amy Bernstein says, says this. She said, because there is no way for the inheritance of the land or the children that number the stars of heaven and the sand of the sea except for slavery in Egypt first. One is directly dependent on the other. Redemption from slavery is the prerequisite for inheriting the lands. We don't get the lands unless we've been slaves. So if that's true of the Jewish community, then what should be the response of a Jewish community that can look at this and say, we've been slaves, we have been, this is our story, what should the outcome be? She says it makes us aware of the slavery around us, literal, physical slavery, tangible slavery around us that makes us liberators. You were slaves and you are no different from them. You didn't earn anything as your status as redeemed. You didn't earn anything about redemption. And apparently, we need to be reminded of this all the time, and we eat it every year. We have to viscerally remember because we tend to forget. I think this is amazing. But again, she's still waiting for the Messiah. Aaron shared a document with me that he wrote about um, that when they celebrate the Passover feast, they leave a, an empty chair there's a passage and they're waiting for Elijah to return. And, and so, so there's someone greater than Elijah supposed to return. And so what they do is they, they have an empty chair with the meal prepared and they open the door of the house and they say, Elijah, come. They're still waiting for the Messiah. But the good news of Jesus Christ is that he is the Messiah, that he's already come and he's done these things. And so now their story, the Egyptian or the, the Israelite story is our story because we've been grafted in and we have become now that also the same true Israel, God's people under the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. And so this should do the same thing to us. This should make us aware of the slavery around us, the, the literal slavery, which is why we get involved with, with source and, and sex trafficking and women, women being, being trafficked in the, in the community, right? This is a real thing. But also, it's also a spiritual slavery. And, and the connection that she makes here, yes, I, was, I, don't, I didn't earn anything. I didn't earn anything for my status to be redeemed. I was a slave to sin. I couldn't do anything but sin. And what happens? Jesus shows up and he dies for me, pays for my freedom. I didn't earn that. And so what should I do? It should make me a liberator. And I should be able to share that gospel. The same freedom that was given to me freely, I should be able to share that with people around me. And I shouldn't be ashamed of that because a lot of times I am. Right, just culturally, it's, oh, I don't know, it's a little uncomfortable. I don't know, maybe I, I thought this the other day. I was talking to my neighbor, and I shared the gospel, and I was like, ah, I might have done it too soon. I should have waited a year. No, man, I shouldn't be ashamed of that because I really believe this, and I believe that they're in slavery, slavery to sin. Let's set them free. Sorry, I can't turn my page. All right, did Jesus celebrate Passover? Uh, yes, yes he did. I want to look at Luke chapter 22. Jesus was a Jew. Jesus was Jewish. He wasn't a Christian. Christian means little Christ. He just was Christ. Okay? He was the Messiah. So being Christian means being like Jesus. Jesus was Jesus. So he, but he was Jewish. And he performed these things. He'd go to the temple, make sacrifices. Then came the day of unleavened bread. 
on which the Passover lamb had to be sacrificed. And Jesus sent Peter and John saying, go and make preparations for us to eat Passover. Where do you want us to prepare it? Prepare for it, they asked. He replied, as you enter the city, a man carrying a jar of water will meet you. Follow him to the house that he enters and say to the owner of the house, the teacher asks, uh, where is the guest room and where, uh, where I may eat the Passover with my disciples? And he will show you a large room upstairs, all furnished, so I'd call it the upper room, you know, and, and uh, Da Vinci's uh, painting. Uh, make preparations there. They left and found the things just as Jesus had told them, so they prepared Passover. Now, uh, when the hour came, Jesus and his apostles reclined at the table. Again, culturally, they weren't sitting in chairs. They would recline and kind of lean on another around the food, around this Passover meal, very intimate in their community. When the hour came, Jesus and his apostles reclined at the table, and he said to them, I have eagerly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it again until it finds fulfillment in the kingdom of God. And right here in this moment, he's about to incorporate a, a, a new ordinance. He's about to say this old feast of the Passover is going to be superseded about what's happening here while we're eating the Passover meal. And guess what? Just like God did in the Passover meal, he, he, he made it an ordinance before it even happened, while they were still slaves, while we are still slaves and humanity is slaves to sin and there's no hope for the world because the Messiah hasn't come. The Messiah says, now I'm going to start this ordinance. I haven't done this yet. I haven't died for your sins yet, but it's going to happen. And again, call, God calls his shot with exactly what's about to happen. So he says, I have eagerly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it again until it finds fulfillment in the kingdom of God. And after taking the cup, the juice, the wine, he gave thanks and said, take this, divide it among you. For I tell you, I will not drink it again. I will not drink again from the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took bread and he gave thanks, and he broke it. And he gave it to them, saying, This is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, after the supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is a new covenant in my blood. It's a new covenant, superseding the old covenant. We're no longer under the old covenant. There's something new happening. This is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. But the hand of him who is going to betray me is with me on my table, at the table, and the Son of Man will go as it has been decreed. But woe to the man who betrays him. And they began questioning among themselves which one of them might be who would do this. So again, I think we have to ask the question, who is this for? Because when we go back and we look at Passover, it was clearly for the Israelites and for that community of people as God's firstborn. And, and as we look at the New Testament and Paul and, and Peter using language of now Gentiles are included. We've been grafted in that we are now one body under this new covenant in the blood and sacrifice of Jesus Christ. And so now, under the blood, after Christ, it's for all people who believe in the blood. It's for all people who believe in the blood of Christ as a Passover. To pass over my sin, just like Israel 
But just like Israel, were all people saved, were all people spared from the destruction? No. The only people who were spared were the people who put the blood on the door. Jesus comes and he's the sacrificial lamb for all who would believe. The unblemished lamb of God becomes blemished for us. That he who knew no sin becomes sin for us. The firstborn of all creation lays down his life for his creation. And the only one who, oops, the only one who wasn't a slave to sin died for sinners so we could be free from sin. I was reminded of this verse this morning, 1 Corinthians 5. Your boasting has gotten not good. Paul's talking to a church, and it's a community, so not just the individual. He's talking to the, the, the whole church. They're boasting in some sin that's going on in their, in their community, in their, in their congregation. Don't you know that a little yeast leavens the whole batch of dough? He's going all the way, he's going directly back to Passover language here. He says, get rid of the old yeast so that you may be new unleavened batch as you really are. You are unleavened. You are freed from sin. So why do we continue to sin? You're free. For Christ, our, our, you and my Passover lamb has been sacrificed. Therefore, let us keep the festival, not with old bread leavened with malice and wickedness, but with unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. But he says, keep the festival. What festival is he talking about? Is he talking about a, an old festival of Passover that happened once a year? Is he talking about communion, the Lord's Supper that Jesus institutes that we here celebrate once a week? Is that what we're supposed to remember and to keep? Or is it something that internally that we are supposed to do day by day and moment by moment as we remember what Christ did for us? That we're free from sin. We're free from the bondage of sin. So I ask this question. Is there blood on the door of your heart? As you are sitting here now, have you let Jesus be your Passover lamb? And just like, and I'll quote Amy Bernstein again, there's nothing you can do to earn or merit redemption. It is only by the blood of the lamb of Jesus Christ that can set you free from sin. And I want to quote again uh, Amy Bernstein, and again, I don't know how to paginate this. It was a, she quoted Arthur Green in her podcast. I don't know how to do that. So Arthur Green, in his book, Radical Judaism, said this. Our most basic statement of faith involves, is this collective, uh, involved in this collective experience of bondage. Jewish faith is about belonging to this liberated community of former slaves. Being Israel means identifying this experience as if it happened yesterday. That's what it means to be Jewish. And yet as we look at this and we say, no, now that we, because of Christ, that we are the true Israel, we get to say the same thing. That the most basic statement of our faith, that we are in this together. That we knew what it was like to be in bondage to sin. And we've been set free. We've been liberated community of former slaves to sin. And so we get to now remember this, and we remember it every week by taking these elements that represent the blood of Christ, 
that was shed for us and the body which was broken for us. And we get to viscerally remember and taste what Christ did and we remember and lift up him and, and rejoice and praise. But I want to ask, do you celebrate your redemption in community? I know you're at church, so you're like, yeah, man, I'm, I'm one of the good guys, man. I'm, I'm in community. Right, but, but do we celebrate this in community? Do we just show up on Sunday, which thank you, good, keep doing that. But it's not just about this. It's not just about remembering the festival once a year, once a week. We do this day by day by day and moment by moment by moment. And when we fail to do it, God doesn't say, oh, they're done. I'm done with this. They're, they keep falling out, they kick him out of the camp. No, he says, I love you. And you are always going to be adopted in my family under this new covenant. So do we celebrate together? Will you close with me as we enter into a time of communion uh, we do have gluten-free options over here on this left side. And, and as we do communion, um, uh, all we would ask as you participate in this is that you'd be a follower of Jesus. Uh, you don't have to be a member of a church. You don't have to be a regular attender of a church. You don't have, this could be your first time in a church. Maybe this could be your first time taking communion. You say, man, I've never thought about Jesus being my Passover lamb for what, what I owe. I didn't earn that that he freely gave that, and you want to take that as well, and you want to remember and now celebrate with your brothers and sisters in Christ this Passover meal, this Lord's Supper of the new covenant. So you bow with me in prayer. Heavenly Father God, I thank you for this passage. I thank you that we are, I thank you that we're grafted in. God, that you, you chose Israel to be your people. And there would have been nothing that we could have done to be part of that. But you chose in your sovereignty through Christ because his sacrifice is sufficient for all people to allow those of us in this room who are not Jewish or not Israelite descendants to be able to be grafted into that community. And so their story becomes our story. And their God becomes our God. And their Messiah is our Messiah because he has come and he has died and he is our Passover lamb. So God, I pray that as we, as we take these elements, nothing magical about them, but God, that we would remember what you have done for us and our people for generations because you are good and loving and you protect your sheep, you protect your people. And God, we thank you for that. For it's in Christ's name we pray, amen.